0: the ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy.
1: Shepherding 101, a study in the supremely challenging art of heavenly headship. I made a comment... Uh, don't remember who it was to, but uh, I remember saying, I actually totally understand feminism. It makes actually total sense to me. It's not that I support it. It's just that if you didn't have Jesus, and you didn't have the clothing of Jesus Christ, and you didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit to respond to the way manhood has treated femininity in the past few decades, feminism makes complete sense, because you would have to respond with the equipment that you have naturally. The difference between a woman outside of the grace of God and a woman with the power of the Holy Spirit is there is a greater measure to be able to respond in a way that reveals the kingdom of heaven. But long and short, the reason I say that is women should never in the church of Jesus Christ be put in a position where they have to reach down into that depth of grace to say, okay, under this unjust leadership, under this domineering headship, I need grace to submit. As leaders, there should be a tremendous flow-through of Jesus Christ and his nature and his leadership in and through how we function. As I go through this, it's very easy to isolate out shepherds as a male term and the chief shepherd is. He was a man, and his name is Jesus Christ. However, the application in the bride of Christ is one that is, uh, in a sense, available to both ends, male and female, that we all need to showcase this beauty of Christ's leadership in our own lives. So when we get to the topic of headship, it would be fascinating to query your souls and just sort of see how you're doing you know, if I said yes, and uh, <clears throat> the man is the head of the household. And just sort of see if there's any squirming in here. Now, we're a conservative body, so maybe we feel completely comfortable with such terms. However, if this is being broadcast uh, on CNN, I'm not exactly sure that even the very topic I'm bringing up would be favorably. Uh, and people would probably watch it just to get mad. Uh, but this isn't a message that anyone should get mad at. As far as I'm concerned, this is bringing a proper lens to the idea of headship. And both for the leaders, the ones that are in position of influence, and for those that are being led. Introducing the shepherd. He's the guy in charge of the sheep pen. The, the guy in charge of the sheep pen, I know it sounds... See, when I say a head, like the head of the households, you know, the man, you know, that type of a thing, it stirs things. But when I say shepherd, that's more of a neutral term, because we don't have shepherds today. I mean, I didn't. We do have them. They exist. People do watch over sheep still. However, not in the most common sense. We are not as much of an agrarian and pastoral type of uh, uh, world as we used to be. And as a result, we don't see just the shepherd with his crook out there in the fields. You know, or how about with a harp playing? This is not a normal sighting for us. And so our, our, we've been desensitized to the idea of uh, shepherding, which... Of course, the whole idea of a pastor is a shepherd. That's what a a pastor is, is a shepherd. And so it's funny that we use these old-fashioned terms to describe what we do today, so it's rather important that we understand what it means. But he's the guy who's in charge of the sheep pen. Introducing the shepherd's assignment. Now, this is very important uh, that you begin to build a model or a construct for this. It's to keep out the wolves and to comfort the sheep. So imagine that there's a pen. And that pen is this shepherd's jurisdiction. It's his territory. And so it might not be a pen, it might be a territory. He, he has his sheep over here, that guy has his sheep over there. And so this is his defined jurisdiction would be our governmental term for it. The territory over which he has say, or the sheep over which he has been assigned. Now so for that assignment, that leadership position, that shepherding position, he is responsible to keep away the bad things and then to comfort and bring life to the sheep. And so to do both is an awkward thing. You know, if I was just a defender, it's one thing. That means, okay, here's a rod. Here's what you do with it. Clunk. You see, if a shepherd only had to clunk things on the head, it'd be a lot easier, but he can't just clunk everyone because there's certain ones in his domain that he's not supposed to clunk. However, most leaders today have a tendency to misuse that clunking device known as the rod or the word of God, specifically in scripture, or to use their authority improperly, and they actually end up clunking the sheep on the head instead of the wolves. The little known fact about shepherds, listen closely, their job is really quite difficult. You see, when you're not a shepherd, you have a tendency to look at the shepherds and see all the problems with them. However, one of the things I want you to be sensitized to today is the fact that being a shepherd is actually not that easy. Being the one in charge is actually, though it may sound romantic from a distance, is not that easy of a task. So I wanted to start by reading something out of Smith's Bible Dictionary so you can get an idea of what it means to be a shepherd. In Israel, the shepherd held a subordinate position. The office of the eastern shepherd was attended with much hardship and even danger. He was exposed to the extremes of heat and cold. His food frequently consisted of the precarious supplies afforded by nature, such as locusts and wild honey. He had to encounter the attacks of wild beasts, occasionally of the larger species, such as lions, panthers, and bears. Nor was he free from the risk of robbers or predators' hordes. Hmm, So who wants that job? No one in Israel wanted the job. It was the job that usually went to the youngest son in the family. And so the youngest son was just sort of stuck with it, hoping that mama would get pregnant one more time. Who No one wants this job. It's the shepherd job. It's the lowly position. So it's ironic that in the church of Jesus Christ, we call those that are put in charge shepherds. Because it really is a low position. It always has been understood as that. It is not necessarily the position to be desired, and yet the Bible actually says you should desire this. Why? Because we desire the office of a servant. We desire the office of those that will lay down their life to sacrifice that others may live. So we're going to use two different words, dud and good Okay, so I put the umlauts over the good so you can just sort of see the contrast. We have dud shepherds and we have good shepherds. Uh, There are dud shepherds and there are good shepherds. So you have to know your German to really appreciate my writing of good there. The dud shepherd. The dud shepherd shows passivity towards the wolves and in so doing betrays his precious sheep. You see, if as a shepherd, when the wolves make their move on my sheep, I say, Eh, you know what, it's none of my business and I allow the wolves to come in and munch for lunch, my sheep, that is not a good shepherd. And yet, the model that we've received for shepherding has a tendency to lean in that direction. In other words, it's like, ah, it's just a lot of work. See, it's hard to fight. It's hard to go after wolves and lions and bears and panthers. It takes energy. And so it's far easier just to say, you know what? What happens, happens. You know, I, you know, I'll do my best to put up some, some roadblocks and some fencing. But hey, I'm not responsible if the wolves get in. A passive shepherd is a dud shepherd. The famous quote of the dud shepherd, maybe you've heard this before. Woman, I'm the head of this household, so I'll do what I want. This is the misappropriation of headship. And where there's certain men on earth that have memorized, what, two scriptures And they use those scriptures all the time. And they both have to do with submit and the fact that the man is the head. And it is not an incorrect statement. However, that man doesn't know what it means to be a head. You see, if you're the head, it's not necessarily the thing you want to be bragging about. It's sort of like the shepherd. Hey, I'm the shepherd. Okay, you're going to lay down your life for everyone in this family then? Because that's what a shepherd does. That's the position of the head. The head is what's known as the first sufferer. That means that if there's not enough food, but uh, you know, so someone's gonna have to go without, the shepherd is the one to say, I'll go without. If we're short one blanket and it's cold nights and everyone needs to be covered up, but we're short one, the shepherd goes without. The shepherd is the first to suffer because he's the head. The head is the one that has to take the hit. The head is the one that has to take the blame. The head is the one that has to get up in the cold night and check the doors and windows to make sure that they're locked. And if there's a squeak in the house, he's the one that has to get up and face it with the baseball bat. The head is the one that has to squash the spiders. The head is the one that has to go into the situation and risk his life so that his sheep feel safe. Who really wants to be the head? And yet, so we got a whole bunch of duds out there that are bragging about the fact that they're the head, but for their own selfish gain. What they mean is, hey, I can do what I want in this house because I'm the head. You submit to me. That's actually not how headship works. The good shepherd. He stands up against the wolves and in so doing preserves the life of his sheep. That's how a good shepherd functions. So here's Jesus Christ, a direct quote from him from John 10:11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So there's the definition of a good shepherd right there. It's one that gives up his strength, his life, his time, his resources, everything he has for the benefit of his sheep. That's how a good shepherd functions. The famous quote of the good shepherd, Honey, as the head of this household, I take the blame for the weaknesses of this family, the impediments in our communications as a couple, and the fact that our kids are not heavenly-minded throughout the day. Who's responsible for that? Well, we as men have a tendency to show up at home and then blame our wives if there's any problems. It's like, hey, why is this happening? And then she gets defensive and say, well, you're not around. You know, all that whole, you know, cyclical pattern of communication. Instead, the man says, or the head says, look, if there's a weakness in this home, I'm responsible. If there's miscommunication between husband and wife, I'll take the blame for it. It's on me. I need to look into this and I need to change something. In other words, we don't shift blame. It's the woman, she made me eat. This isn't the pattern. That's the pattern of Adam. But Jesus shows a new pattern. He takes the hit for his bride. He takes the responsibility. The difference between Adam and Jesus is completely different. Adam blames the woman. Whereas Jesus takes the blame of the woman upon himself. Whoa, what a model shift. As the head, the good shepherd will, dot, 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 listen to this list, take the blame even though he is not the offending party. Take the loss even though he's not the one who made the mistake. Take the hit even though the bullet was aimed at someone else. Take the pain even though he was wholly guiltless in the situation. Now, I don't know if you want to stick that up on your refrigerator. It would be awkward if the, you know, the women stuck that, stuck that up on the refrigerator and pointed to the husband saying, Eric preached on that this last week. This is the type of thing that the man needs to say, that's right, that's right, I own my position. I understand what it means to be the man in this home. As the head, the good shepherd will, now listen to this list, go without food that his sheep may have their bellies full. Go without a blanket that his sheep may be kept warm. Go without breath that his sheep may live to breathe another day. You see, this is the model of one known as Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, And this is the pattern that we have, not just in the church of Jesus Christ, but in our individual lives. Not just in our individual lives, but in our marriages. Not just in our marriages, but in our families. You see, that is the building block of what causes us to gather together and showcase the nature of the good shepherd in a church environment. And if we are functioning this way, one unto another, if our shepherds and our leaders in the church are taking on this sort of form, world changed distinguishing between the two shepherd models listen to jesus speak on the topic i am the good shepherd the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep but so we're creating a contrast here a contrast between the good and the dud it's called the hireling the hireling he who is not the shepherd one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So what you see is this contrast of two different models. One that is selfish, that is thinking about its own skin, its own comforts, and its greater value of care is on himself than on the sheep. He doesn't care about the sheep. Long and short, we can say all we want as men. It's like, oh, no, I care, I care. You prove your care by the fact that you're the good shepherd, and you stand up and you intervene in the very moment that you are most needed. It's hard to be a shepherd. There are so many moments where you just want to be passive. You just want to tune it out. You don't want to know about what's going on. Don't tell me that one of my children had an issue today. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear. I'm tired of my children having issues. I just want everything to be fine. However, a good shepherd says, I want to know. I want to know. There's two different ways to enter into every situation in life. One is sort of like this, like, I don't want to have any difficulty, any, any, any issue. And the other is to say, I'm a shepherd. All right? I don't know what the challenges that I'm going to face are that are going to be packaged in today, but I do know that I have grace for it, and I want to be a good shepherd. So Jesus Christ, fill me with the Holy Spirit, enable me. And it's sort of like before you go out into the field, could you imagine a, a football team that goes out onto the field, and they're just sort of depressed and You know, not doing very well and dejected and they go out and and the other team lines up and like, oh yeah, I guess we should get in position. And then the ball is hiked. (laughs) They would just get knocked over. What does the team do? They're like, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, guys, come on, come on. They do even those chest things (laughs) against each other. They shove each other. (laughs) And then they get onto that field and they get into position. Before they do, they're like, one, two, three. (laughs) They say something, right? What are they doing? Well, how about as a shepherd? Don't you realize you're engaged in battle? You got an enemy out there? You need your little one, two, three. You need something. You need to be ready for what you are assigned to do. If you're a football player, don't go out there without a clue that there is someone else on the other side of the line that's going to knock you over. You go out into that field ready. And so in every situation in life, when a man comes home from work, He should do the little out in the driveway if necessary. It's like, I'm going in, and I'm going to be a good shepherd tonight. When you wake up in the morning, I'm going to be a good shepherd today. By the grace of God, I need to be focused and engaged. There is no passivity. What sort of shepherds are we? So... I know some of you are like, well, I'm not in charge of anything. You know that you are. One way or the other, you're in charge. Because even if you're not a shepherd like in a home, you are a shepherd of a body. You have a thought life. You have a sexuality. You have a body. How are you ruling it? Are you caring for it with vigor and intentionality, or are you passive? You can usually tell how you're caring for your body at around 530 in the morning, when you've told God that you're going to get up and spend time with him, and your body's like, you've got to be kidding. You see, are you a good shepherd, or are you going to just let anything rule in your body? You see, you're going to say, no, no, hey, there's a job that needs to be done. This body is getting up. You see, you have to be intentional in your living. If you want to be a great shepherd, then you have to be intentional in your own body, in your own thoughts. You can't be passive. If you want to deal with wolves on a bigger scale, you have to deal with wolves on a smaller scale. So listen to this. Likely we are the good sort in the making. In other words, I don't want to start with the conclusion that we're dud shepherds in here. However, I would say that probably for the most part, we've transferred from the kingdom of darkness unto the kingdom of light. We are all desirous to showcase Jesus in our lives. That would probably be a common sentiment amongst us. However, I would say we are the good sort of shepherd in the making, but ones that are still prone to dud behavior. I know, it's frustrating. Isn't it frustrating that we still have some dud behavior? Eliminating the dud behavior. So I, I've been teaching recent Lily how to ride a bike, and you know that there's these special devices that you can hook to the back of a bike, and I guess it makes it a lot easier. And They always tell me when I'm in the bike store, and it really saves your back. But whenever I'm in training mode, I never have one of those. So I've never used one. I always still hold on. I don't know if I hold on to the back of the seat or the front of the... I don't remember where I do it. But I tell you what, it just kills your back. These little teeny bikes, and you're going down the road. And I have two of them, so I switch off with them. And it's like, oh, you can only do it for about 10 minutes before you're like permanently uh, like this. (laughs) However, it's interesting because in my mind, riding a bike isn't that difficult because I've been doing it for years. So when they first get on the bike, they just have no balance whatsoever. So they keep swinging to one side or the other. And usually there's a side that they tend towards. And so the whole while, I'm trying to overcorrect them. That's, that's what I do with my hand on the bike. I don't know if it's on the seat or on the, on the handlebars. But I'm trying to overcorrect them. If they lean to the right, I'm trying to correct them to the left and then to find that sense of balance. And I let go, and then I'm like, that's you, that's you, that's you. That's you, you're riding a bike. Oh, 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 there we go, there we go. And the same is true with us. When we're first learning leadership, we have a tendency to one side or the other. And we oftentimes have a difficult time striking that middle balance. However, the longer you practice in the spirit of God, the more you will begin to be familiar with writing. To the point where it's like, okay, I don't need to go over to this ditch or this ditch. You see, you got traffic over here and you got a you know, canal over here. You know, it doesn't make any sense to go either way. Let's just stay the straight and narrow. And the same is true with shepherding. So finding that strange and inexplicable balance between falling into the ditch on the right and falling into traffic on the left. The art of parenting. Practicing good shepherding by listening to the tap of the heavenly shepherd's rod upon our fluffy backside. Even if we are the the shepherd, we're still a big sheep. That's what we are. And we still need to be led In our shepherding, because in our shepherding, God has to oftentimes go, "Uh uh-uh, no, little one, no, you know, my little under-shepherd, no, no, we don't go to the right here. No, 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 don't go to the left. You see, as shepherds, it's not just the sheep that have a tendency to wander into different ditches or into oncoming traffic. It's also us as shepherds, because it's like a new coordination, to learn leadership and to learn how to govern a body is actually not normal to us. We have to learn how to not go to one side or the other. So, when I, let's just look at a young Eric Ludi here. Eric Ludi sort of specialized in the softer dimensions, we could say the romantic or the comforting dimensions of marriage. So, when I first got married, I was really good at writing poems. I was really good at writing love letters. I was really good at thinking through some romantic things for us to do. I was like the softy. And so there were these other women out there that were like looking at their husbands going, and how come you don't write me letters like Eric Ludy does? You know, that, And I, I felt really good about that. Uh, <laughs> however, I had some weaknesses, and that was in the strength side. I remember Leslie saying something like, well, and so-and-so, you know, his name was Jim, you know, he locks the doors every night before he goes to bed, checks all the windows. And, and I'm like, yeah, but the guy's paranoid. The guy's paranoid that someone's going to break into the house. She says, well, it would be nice if maybe you upgraded to half paranoid. <laughs> and so I, I struggled with some of the stronger dimensions in protectiveness so that Leslie would feel safe. And it doesn't just mean, it means anything. Like someone's attacking us and someone throws a jab at Leslie well, I would just take it you know, like we're one, you know, so I'm trying to respond with graciousness when that person's attacking us verbally. And Leslie afterwards is like, Do you remember those those movies, you know, where the guy says, On my honor, you will not speak that way to my wife? And like, yeah, but I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to do. She says and I said she said something like, Well, I'm not looking for you to go into a duel, but I guess I'm expecting something a little more manly. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? What about all my love letters? What about my poems? There's a balance. You see, I was heavy-weighted into the ditch. okay? But it's good qualities. Those are wonderful things, but they need to be balanced. There needs to be both and. You can comfort sheep all day long. I could be holding sheep, singing to sheep, and then wolves could be eating all the others. In other words, you need to have both and. While you're comforting, you need to have your rod ready to whack a wolf when he comes in. So, here I am, in the key moment, I would say, of my leadership breakthrough. We were in a somewhat of a crisis moment in the formation of our ministry, and we were dealing with a really tense issue. And I remember I was in Orlando, Florida, sitting on a couch. I remember the moment very well. And I recognized what my job was in this situation. I wanted someone else to do it. I was hoping that God, God, could you just send someone else that is more that sort of leader? Someone. And I knew what I needed to do. I needed to rise up, and I needed to speak very boldly to a certain person. And I needed to draw a line and make something clear. I don't want to do it. But I knew that I knew that it was my job. And I didn't want my job. But it was my job. So I remember standing up off the couch. I said, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I'm assigned to do. And I, it doesn't mean my knees weren't knocking. My knees were knocking. But I stepped forward and I did something that I don't know up to that point if I'd ever done it quite like that. And it was what than I have always termed being presidential. In other words, if you're the one in charge, act like it. The reason the president does what he does, you know, whether or not the, you like the president or not makes no difference. But the president in a time of war in a time of tragedy, and when a you know, bomb drops on Pearl Harbor or you, you know, whisperings of an economic collapse uh, you know, start spreading through the land, it doesn't make any difference what the catastrophe is. The president is responsible to get on television and to calm the people. He needs to be presidential. He needs to show that he's in control. He's a president. And no one, and I mean no one, is going to mess with this country without messing with me and then all the people go, oh, okay, good. (laughs) It's being presidential. In other words, there's a job that that guy has, and no one wants his job that day. It's a hard thing to be the man that it all falls on in that day, and yet be presidential. And so what happened when Eric decided to rise up? You you begin to see in the same time period, Eric began to preach. Eric began to enunciate with authority the truth of Jesus Christ. And at first, all is wonderful because it's in the the church and people are like, I've never heard anyone talk like that before. I've never heard anyone preach like that before. Whoa! And then I go home and Leslie says something like, I'm just really struggling with some anxiety. What? Not in my house, you're not. Anxiety has no place in the body of Christ. I had this passion, this presidential passion. I went from writing love notes and poems to rebuking. Ouch, that anxiety will go. I didn't understand how to ride the bike. I went from being soft to being too firm. And I, I think I clobbered one of my sheep. Let's just put it that way. Oops, I think I just beat up one of my sheep. The awkward first steps of wielding the rod as a weapon. You see, the word of God will bring comfort. The word of God will bring life and encouragement. But the word of God is also a weapon. And the word of God, when used properly by a shepherd, will drive away wolves. However, if as a shepherd you misuse that rod and clobber your sheep with it, uh uh-uh, that's a mistake. And this is where we have a tendency to err as shepherds. We have strength. We've been given authority. We've been given the word of God, and we're supposed to wield it. We're supposed to swing it. But interestingly enough, that rod is meant to comfort sheep, and it's meant to clobber wolves. It's not meant to clobber sheep and comfort wolves. Political correctness, can you say it with me? That's exactly what the church is trying to do today. They're trying to comfort wolves and be sensitive to the world out there. Oh, we're an affirming church. No, no, all you wolves, we just want you to know that you're welcome here. Meanwhile, anyone that dares stand up for truth in the midst of the church, clonk. You see, we've gotten it backwards today. And the church, the shepherds of the church are meant to know how to preserve the life, the integrity... The health of the church, at the same time, still wield that strength. And so I struggled. I mean, to be honest, it's probably been one of the most unique struggles I've ever dealt with. Because it's one of the best things that God has ever done in me. And yet, to know how to not take too strong of a growl into my own marriage and into my own family seems weird. It's like, wouldn't it be the same application Preach it, Lutie! But I have to know how with gentleness to apply the truth to my sheep. And so there's a balance that Eric Lutie has had to walk through in this process, which has been life-changing for me. I'm sharing it with you today because it's a gem. Being presidential, but being a gentle President. In other words, yes, you take your position, you take it seriously, and you do what you need to do. I don't care if it's difficult. You're the guy. Do it. But when you are a president, when you are the guy in charge, you administer that authority towards wolves one way and towards sheep a very different way. The rod that drives away the wolves is the rod that also comforts the sheep. The weaker vessel phenomenon... I know, this, this message sort of touches on some of the most politically incorrect scriptures that exist. Uh, submit woman, that, that's one of them. Uh, the other one is the fact that women are considered a weaker vessel. I, I know, there's probably women in here that could beat me up. And, uh, and as a result, it's sort of weird to call a woman a weaker vessel. And yet, that's the construct. The construct comes straight from the divine model. Jesus is the man role. He is the bridegroom. We are the sheep. We are the weaker vessel. And so he has shown a model and a pattern for how to crush the head of a serpent and in the same move, save us. It's like this, uh, if I could say it, like a judo move, but since Dwight's not here, he can't test me And if this is actually a judo move. It's like, you hit, you hit the enemy and at the same time, grab and save the sheep. It's a movement that the the true shepherd knows how to do, and God has modeled something, and we need to take the cue. And so in the teaching, what we see is that, whoa, whoa, in this model, the man is as Christ, and the bride, the woman, is as Christ. The bride. And so we need to now learn the same technique to live in an understanding way, to not harm the bride while doing the work of the man and clobbering the wolves. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen to this that your prayers be not hindered. Men, you have a job to do. It's not an easy one. And there's a lot of things that will hinder your ability to have a free-flowing conversation between you and God. And it's interesting, but how you handle your role as a shepherd is very, very important. Because if you do not treat your sheep as if they are, in fact, the delicate, fragile ones that they are, and you actually treat them as if they're wolves, you will find that your intercourse between God and man will be hindered. Your prayers will be hindered. And so as a rule of thumb, what we need to understand as shepherds is that this is a priority in how we function. We learn how to treat our sheep the way Jesus would treat them, laying down our life for them, and yet we never let go of the presidential authority that we have in the fact that we are in that position to do the hard thing when the wolves come. The good shepherd does not seek fairness as an end. Okay, this is going to be a little touchy around the edges. It would be easier if I was just talking with men right now. Because there's some women listening in and I want you that are listening, especially the married ones, to be very gracious with what you're about to hear. Because if I was talking with the men, I would say in every argument I want you to start with the premise that you are wrong. I want you to start with the premise that you are the one that needs to initiate making it right. Now, you see how that could be misused by a a wife in here? She could look at the husband and say, you're supposed to make this right, which makes it all the harder for a man to make it right. However, as a man, we start with the premise that we're the shepherd. Therefore, we will take the blame to start out with. We say, okay, if there's a problem in our communication, I'm going to start by looking inside here. What have I done? What have I done to actually create this, and how can I make that right? So he must be willing to take every hit, bear burdens all by his lonesome, endure unjust measures, and suffer indignities that are undeserved. See, that's not fair. I can't tell you how many times in early marriage I remember thinking through the fact that this is not fair. Why is it that she can say that to me, but I couldn't say the same thing to her? That's a double standard. And yet, is it? Or do I have a specific responsibility that actually causes it to seem, at first, to be inequitable, but it's my job description, and I'm given grace for it as a man. The way I've always said it is that men are built for the hardest things. There's a reason why a man is the one that asks, or we should say pops the question and asks the girl to marry. Why? Because he's built to receive rejection, whereas a woman isn't built the same. She's more fragile emotionally. And so as a result, it is better that a man take the risk. It is better that the man say, will you dance with me? And then the woman looks and goes. (laughs) Then it is for the woman to have to cross the dance floor and come up to the man and ask the same question. You see, men are built as the stronger vessel, even though that doesn't always mean muscularly. There's a difference in how we are wired and what we are commissioned to do. And so the same thing needs to be understood in our shepherding, that we are built to handle certain weights, certain difficulties, and instead of complaining about it, we say, but God built me for this. So therefore, he will give me a grace to walk through this. Instead of complaining, don't look for a double standard. Just enjoy the fact that you've been given grace for a very unique task. The principle of quarterbacking. A secret gem of wisdom for husbands. Whether or not you're going to appreciate this, I'm not sure. So the football application. If the team loses, start with the premise that it is due to your failure as a leader. You're the quarterback. So if your team loses, you start with the premise that it's your fault. Now what's funny is the defense might have completely collapsed. The defense was sitting there and the ball went right through the cornerback's hands. He could have intercepted and ran for a touchdown. They would have won the game. However... In the locker room, the quarterback starts with the premise. Hey, guys, it's on me. If your team fails, take the onus for the failure upon yourself. Lift your hand up high and say to all the fellow players in the locker room and to all the onlooking and fans, y'all, it was my fault. I take the blame for it. That was my southern accent. I don't know how it got into there, but uh, (laughs) that's a good quarterback. You know what the coach will do? The coach will say the same thing. You see, the coach is over the hole, and he'll say, hey, guys, it's my coaching. Out of all the players, the quarterback will say, hey, it's my responsibility. Now, that cornerback, the, let's use a different one because that sounds too much like quarterback, the safety, the one that should have intercepted the ball, he should also say, hey, look, it's not our quarterback's fault. He did the good job. It was, it was me. I dropped it. Everyone should take onus and responsibility. However, you as a leader are willing to take all of it if necessary. The marriage application. Start with the premise that every disagreement is your fault and that restoration of a healthy relationship lies solely upon your shoulders. In other words, don't wait for your wife to figure it out. As a husband, you say, you know what? I'm responsible still. You know, even if my wife is feeling something and she's not feeling completely right with something in, in our home or in her life, and I can say, come on, that is ridiculous. I don't see it. If my wife feels it, it's real. And even though I may not agree with her assessment of it, it's real. And I need to live it with humble understanding towards my wife, which starts with the premise, all right, all right, something's wrong. All right, let's, let's start here. God, I want you to correct this so that whatever's going on in my home can be corrected. Bear the burden for initiating reconciliation. and Don't shy away from being the responsible party. Raise your hand up high into the air and say to your wife, Honey, this is a result of a failure in my leadership. I take the blame for it. The higher degree of responsibility. With every rung of increased authority comes another rung of character responsibility. It seems unfair when you move into leadership realms. The amounts of public attack that yours truly has enjoyed is unfair, if you want to look at it that way. Have you ever had the thoughts about the, uh, what what do they call the photographers that follow around famous people? What are they called? The paparazzi. Have you ever had the thought when you hear a, a famous person complaining about being stuck in the front of the Inquirer, you're like, you're the one that chose that career. Hey, if you want to be famous, you get the paparazzi. You see, we don't have a lot of compassion for them. However, if you move up in leadership, you'll suddenly have compassion for a lot of people you didn't realize you have. I've had compassion for Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. I've had compassion, I really have, because I recognize that it's unfair. There's certain things that are not Christian that Christians deal out. It's not the nature of Christ, but we dehumanize people because they're a leader. And we actually would take pot shots at them, but we don't do it the way Christ would do it. We don't administer truth We administer frustration and anger and rage. It's it's unhealthy. You see, leaders take the brunt of a lot of things. People have a bad day and they blame a leader. That's just the way it works in our system. Blame the government for all your issues. Blame God if you had a bad day. In other words, blame your leader. And so when you take that shepherd position, you need to recognize that there is a certain... Unfairness that is just woven into the fabric. You cannot go to self-pity when it hits. You have to recognize that it's part of the package of being a leader. What does Elizabeth Elliot say? Loneliness is a required course for leadership. You see, when you are a leader, you don't get to hang out with everyone the same way. Suddenly you're treated as different. It's that one guy, you know, he's, he's part of the... Uh, the work, you know, the work world in this one business, and he hangs out in the, uh, the coffee room or the, the break room, and he's one of the guys, and then suddenly he gets elevated over them. He just, you know, he just got a job uh, promotion. However, all the guys are like, oh, oh, so you're over us now. Now he's eliminated from those little conversations. You see, he's part of, you know, the leadership. Leaders, it's, it's tough. I just want you guys to know that any of you that aren't in a leadership position, you just need to start with the premise of understanding this. It's not easy. And though I, as a leader, I'm going to tell all other leaders to not argue away the unfairness. It just will be unfair. It's like anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You can start by saying, that stinks. It's just a fact. And the same is true with leadership. If you are a leader, things will be unfair. If you are a father, you're going to have some unfair assessments given against you. You Your kids can act up, and everyone's like, oh, how cute, kids. But if you make a mistake as a father, it's a big deal. You see, a father has to be perfect in his fathering, whereas kids can be mischievous and naughty and get away with it. It's like, well, they're just kids. But when you're a father, you can't just say, well, I'm just a father. No, you're a father. That means you need to do it right. You see, it seems inequitable at first, but it's true. We've been given a grace. The reason we are in the position we're in is because we have graduated. We've been proven and made ready, right? With every rung of increased authority comes another rung of character responsibility. The difficult double standard that destroys most shepherds. Most shepherds cannot handle that, uh, that seeming double standard. Why is it that I need to be perfect? Why is it that I can't have an issue with pornography? Why is it that I can't lie like these people? Why is it that everyone holds me to a higher level of accountability? Why is it that I lose my job when I do something everyone in my church does all the time? Whoa. It's because you have been put in that position because you've proven character. Now live it. And the leader has grace for it. There is no excuse for a leader to say, oh, you know, hey, I'm just like everyone else. Actually, you've been given a greater grace to be something different than everyone else. You've been given grace to be a leader, to be an example of Jesus Christ before those that are following you. The shepherd must be without flaw. I know, I know. Whoa. Uh, that's, that's not fair. While the sheep under his care are given a generous allowance of grace space. There's so much grace space for the sheep. You see, as a, as a father, I have a very high level of accountability. My kids are taught certain things. They can't lie, they can't steal, they can't fuss, they can't be foolish, all sorts of things, right? Well, guess what? They still are. However, they're corrected in it, and that's part of daddy's job. But what's awkward is that I can't be any of those things ever. I mean, they can be it, but you could say, well, that's because they're kids. That's right. You see, daddy is not supposed to be a kid anymore. I'm not supposed to be the sheep. I'm supposed to be the shepherd in this situation. Therefore, I don't make the plea of the sheep. I recognize that, God, I'm under a higher level of scrutiny and evaluation and I have a higher level of responsibility. And I need grace for that. The picture of good shepherding. David and his sheep. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. So how did David keep his father's sheep? And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. There's some good shepherding for you. You see, David risked his life to preserve his sheep. See, he knows how to comfort his sheep, and he knows how to wallop the wolves. This balance, he's tending to someone else's sheep. He says it's his father's sheep. They didn't call him his sheep. It was his father's sheep. The same with the sheep in any leadership position. They really do belong to Jesus. They really are our father's sheep, if you want to say it that way. And we've been given an assignment of how to care for them. A shepherd must become an expert in two sorts of wrestling. This is one of those fascinating thoughts to me. Wrestling is actually a biblical concept. It means to throw down. Okay, it's, it's, we're, we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers in another realm. So it's interesting to think that we wrestle against darkness. Sort of a fascinating thought. So let's talk about, talk about two different kinds of wrestling. See, I wrestle with my kids, but I wrestle very different with my kids than I do with the powers of darkness. When a thought, an evil thought is trying to uh, submit itself to my mind to my thought life, there's a way in which I engage it, which is very different than how I engage my kids. Wrestling with his kids, a leader is gentle. See, he has strength, but you know how hard it is actually an art form to wrestle with kids. I don't know if any of you have ever done it, but you have a lot of strength and you could crush your kids. You really could. And yet you have to leverage your strength to pick them up, roll them around your head, and you know, swoop them through, tickle them on the way through, in such a way that they would never be hurt, even though you have the strength. The same is true with knowing how to shepherd. The way I wield the strength that I've been given by heaven with the sheep is very different than how I wield it against the powers of darkness. Wrestling with a bear, I need to be fierce. Wrestling with his kids, playful. Wrestling with a lion, aggressive. Wrestling with his kids, tickling. Wrestling with a wolf pack, destroying. You don't mess around with a wolf pack. You destroy it. However, you don't destroy your kids. And so that balance of strength and gentleness is very, very important. Now showing how, it, how easy it is to be a duddy daddy. This is like a play that we'll walk through. Uh, how easy it is to be a duddy daddy. So, uh, I'm not going to say that I'm the one starring in this play. However, there is uh, a character in it named Daddy. Uh, that could be you, though, as far as, you know, I could have been watching you this past week. Uh, but Daddy is the guy commissioned to be a good shepherd. And then there's Jelly Legs, the honorary tot. The little dude, look, look what I did to Dud there. The little dude doing all the rascally, naughty things. And then there's Mr. Fusspot and his jam-smeared, binky-sucking, heart-melting, baby-face-defiant cronies. And that's the wolf pack, currently stirring up mischief in the inner terrain of the honorary taunt. You see, they can try and look cute all they want. However, what this is, is the powers of darkness that are coming in under under the covering of a little kidness. And then you have the heavenly daddy the spirit of the one true good shepherd that stands behind daddy and corrects daddy as he labors to bring correction to the honorary taught. So correction is needed in this situation, as you will see. However, daddy has to do it right. It's interesting because the little child in this, the honorary Taut, there's a lot of grace space because he's just a little tot. But daddy doesn't have the same grace space. Daddy has a heavenly daddy that is governing, saying, no, no, uh-uh, to the right, no, to the left, Nope, we need that balance, Eric. Introducing the intriguing plot. Jelly Legs has done something rather mischievous, rascally, and naughty. Daddy, in the position of shepherd, is tasked with the job of rescuing him. His objective, to correct the mischief and to teach little Jelly Legs how to properly live. But here's his problem. Jelly Legs has Jelly Legs. The plot thickens as Mr. Fusspot arrives on the scene with his horde of sticky-faced cronies and storms into the inner sheep pen of jelly legs. What will Daddy do? Will he prove a good shepherd, or will he prove a dud? Will he yield to the heavenly Daddy, or will he attempt to pull off this impossible mission all by his lonesome? Let's find out as we explore the next exciting episode of how easy it is to be a Duddy Daddy. I've been listening to some old-time radio, so that's what's sneaking in. The two dud tendencies of the shepherd, to underreact and to overreact. It's hard being a shepherd, let me just tell you. Have I said that yet? It's hard because it's so easy to do one of those two things. It is very hard to strike a balance, to underreact. So I don't know if any of you guys have ever learned the art of underreaction. It is very easy to do. In fact, I would say... Even more so than overreaction is underreaction. You see, when you're a daddy and there's things like discipline and correction that need to take place, it takes energy. It's also really hard. I remember my kids coming to the realization, one of them asked, it's like, so is it really hard? Someone told them that it's really hard for daddies to discipline. I mean, I've been telling them that for a long time, but now it came from somewhere on the outside and they said, is it really hard for you to discipline like you don't like it? I don't like it. It's the worst thing I do in all the world. I do not like to discipline. As a result, the tendency is to come up with a reason or a justification why it's not necessary in this situation. Because it just takes energy. Uh, and fussy legs, this just happened to be late at night. It's like they really need to get to bed. And Oh, the, I didn't say this was me as daddy. did it. This is just a story, right? <laughs> and this is late at night, and I... Don't, I'm thinking, I'm going through my, my, my mind thinking, is there any way this can be dealt with at a different time? Anyway. So to underreact is to give jelly legs, the honorary tot, whatever he wants. Avoid the confrontation at all costs. Flee from the wolves. Let them have their way with the naughty little dude. So the wolves are moving in. We got some serious fuss pots uh, taking place here. You know, just let them, let them go. Just let them go to bed. Just, you know, hey, I don't want to deal with this. This is hard. This is, what, this is what leadership is all about. You don't want to do anything. You really don't want to act. You don't want, to, but it's your assignment. Your assignment is to do the tough things when no one else is around and, and God's sort of looking at you going, hey, I put you in that spot. That's your job. Now, to overreact, some of you know what this is like too. Hire your own wolf pack. You ever thought of that? You know, as, as a father, that's what overreaction is. It's like, hey, hey. This is unacceptable! And then you hire your own wolf pack. No, the hot, anger-driven spanking machine and his frothing-at-the-mouth rage-filled flesh-empowered cronies are typically available for immediate hire at a moment's notice. And turn them loose on the little dude. Yell, spit, snarl, and generally make a fool of yourself, hoping that your parental fury will somehow wake this honorary tot up and cause him to somehow, some way, grow up into a marvelous picture of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that doesn't work. Overreaction harms a child just as much as underreaction does. All you're doing is switching out which wolf pack is getting into the pen. So yeah, you might see the, uh, the jelly-faced, uh, binky-sucking ones leave, but then you have the hot anger ones arrive. Both injure, neither help. There is only one thing that helps, and that's true shepherding in a moment like this mysterious option number 3 to react in perfect stride with the good shepherd is that even possible if any of you have been a daddy you understand what see he, here let me give you a little illustration this was going to be in this little honorary tot uh, there was you know of, aka jelly legs there was a very specific thing that we were trying because we've had some difficult, or we, uh, that was being tried in this play. Uh, and that was to do wall sits. Have you guys ever seen a wall sit? You know, you sit against the wall, your back against the wall. And it was, it, it's had the potential to work, okay? We, I've tried all sorts of things. Uh, and for whatever reason, it's very difficult uh, to see jelly legs come to a realization of the danger of certain behaviors. But when it goes into the wall sit, Uh, His legs turn like jelly, and he flops to the ground. And Daddy lifts up, sticks against the wall in the sit position, and Jelly Legs collapses to the ground. So Daddy picks up, sticks in sit position, and Jelly Legs gives way to the ground, screaming the whole while. I mean, this is so unfair uh, to be having to do wall sits. So Daddy is pondering hiring that, uh, that one band of wolves uh, because it just seems appropriate. So, you know, If Jelly Legs is going to behave this way, there's only one thing that corrects it, and that's uh, another band of wolves. And yet, this is precisely the situation where a shepherd needs a greater shepherd. You see, in a shepherd's own strength, he's either going to not discipline or he'll typically over-discipline. It is very difficult to strike the middle without supernatural power to do it. This is one of the reasons I want you guys to be very gracious with your shepherds. Because it is a supernatural job description. It is not something that any man or any woman can do on their own. It is something that they need divine enablement to stay in the middle and to handle everything without fleshly rage, fleshly emotion, but with clarity of thought Love, kindness, and mercy, yet forceful authority. So, how does one do that? Introducing my big fat Greek word. Yeah, some of you aren't appreciating my appreciating my humor in this one. So, this is possibly one of the biggest Greek words in the history of Greek words. Huprentuchano. Now, some of you have heard me teach on huprentuchano, it's a great word. And it shows up in Romans chapter 8. And what it defines is everything that matters for parenting. So the way to understand huper and tukhano, which is one of the root uh, words in this, means to intercede or to stand in the place of someone. "Hooper" means above. And so what we have, the illustration that I've oftentimes given for Hupura and Tucano is one of my kids, we're putt-putting, and they're at the putt-putt green. And I have a lot of young kids. And so what I'll do is they'll oftentimes look back at me and say, Daddy, could you help me? Because I helped on the last green one of the other kids and got them a hole-in-one. And so they're like, yeah, I want that. And so they're interested in getting a hole-in-one. And so they ask Daddy to come in and overshadow them. And their hands are I fix their hands on the, uh, the putt-putter, and then I put my hands over. And then I say, here we go. Let's pull back. There we go. You see, who's putting? Let me ask it this way. Who gets the score on their scorecard? That little child. But who's doing the work? It's daddy. That's the secret to leadership. In other words, if you don't get to that putt-putt green and turn around and look at your daddy and say, daddy, I really want to do this right and you don't allow him to overshadow you and to intercede for you, then you will miss, inevitably miss. We have a tendency as men to say, hey, I've got this. I've got this. However, the secret to doing it right is that you need to recognize it takes supernatural power to do it. You can't see it, but this putt-putt green is full of all sorts of this type of stuff. And so you hit it right where you think it should, and just, it goes wandering off into the river every time. Like, what? You see, God knows how to get it in. And this is where this word comes in, the overshadowing daddy. Hooper and Tuchano. So if you want to practice saying it, there's a pronunciation guide for you. The shadowing superintending paternal intercession of a stronger party for a weaker party. We're the weaker vessel, guys. Isn't it funny here? The whole t- conversation is about how to live in an understanding way with the weaker vessel. You need to recognize at the very beginning, you are weaker than the one you need, too. You need a stronger party to come in and intercede on your behalf so that you can handle the weaker vessels in your life the way he does. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We've got them. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes huperin chano for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The world needs the return of strength. So... We have a couple options. Either we could just try and cultivate the love song singing, love letter writing, sweet nothing whispering sort of men and leaders. It's like, you know, that's wonderful. However, they lack strength. They lack strength when strength is needed. They have cups of cool water all day long. They're so sweet and so kind. But we need strength back in the church of Jesus Christ because we have wolves eating the church for lunch. So, this world needs the return of strength, but it doesn't need the return of weaker vessel smashers. In other words, we have a tendency to return to strength and then smash weaker vessels. That's not what we need. The world needs the return of shepherds, but it's in need of good ones and not dud ones. The world needs shepherds of the heavenly variety. Shepherds with their heavenly daddy's hands covering theirs as they swing the almighty rod. The art of clunking wolves and comforting sheep, the word that is given in the text of Scripture for this exact balance is a word called proisteme, which some of you have heard me talk on this word as well. It's a great word. To superintend, preside over, protect and guard, to care for and give attention to. So Paul says to Timothy, you need to proisteme. And then he says, and those bishops, those elders, those fathers all in your body. Anyone who's in a position of shepherding needs to do this. This is their job description. It means to rule over something with steel and cool water. The reason I put it that way is it's something hard and something soft, and they know how to wield, pull the steel out, and swing the sword when they need, and they also need to know when to draw the cup of cool water. There's a time to draw a sword, and there's a time to draw a cup of cool water. A leader needs to know how to balance the difference between the two. Don't draw a cup of cool water for the enemy. And don't draw a sword against your sheep. You need the balance to know how to do it right. So this exact word is given in Scripture and applied to these five different positions. Bishops, which is like a pastor, an overseer. Deacons, elders, fathers, and husbands. All right, that's, that's the leaders right there. And this is the word. They need to know when to be strong and when to be soft. And they need to have that balance. And so Paul's charge to all of the leaders is proestomy well. Men, be steel when steel is required and be soft when softness is needed. So in 1 Timothy, he says, One that proistemes well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to proisteme his own house... How shall he take care of the church of God? Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, and their children in their own house as well. Let the elders that proestamine well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Those that have the balance, those that allow the holy God of heaven, the heavenly daddy to overshadow them and enable them to be soft when softness is needed and strong when strength is required. Proestamine this shepherding grace is available in unlimited measure in Christ. So here's my encouragement to each and every one of you. For those of you that have a tendency to be too soft or too firm, I want you to consider getting into Jesus Christ, into his treasure trove, and asking the Holy Father for this grace, the grace to proiste to 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 proiste well, This isn't just a a papa thing. This is a mama thing. This isn't just a papa-mama thing. This is a Christian thing. We learn to be soft when softness is needed and to be strong and steely when strong and steely is required. It's both and. It's not one or the other. A word to shepherds. So this is anyone who's in a position of influence. Live in an understanding way with the weaker vessels. For those of you that feel a bit convicted because you haven't handled that balance well, I don't want condemnation to creep over you, and I also want you to be watchful, uh, especially the wives in here and the children, that recognize that Daddy hasn't necessarily been as gentle as he should be. It's hard to be a shepherd and to be a a good shepherd. It's hard to strike that perfect balance every time. And yet, as a shepherd, I'm going to tell you, you need to. Take the blame as a leader. Allow the onus for imperfection to fall squarely upon your shoulders and don't stick it on anyone else. So maybe we as fathers and leaders need to spend some time with our body today or our, our family or our wives and say, I just want you to know that I, I take the onus for this. That behavior wasn't Christ, and I want this to change. Let the good shepherd overshadow you and train you how to wield the heavenly strength Christ has supplied you. Turn around at the putt-putt green today and say, "Uh, Daddy, could you help me putt this? In every situation, as far as I'm concerned, in every disciplined situation, pause when you reach that because jelly legs are sure to show up no matter how you're disciplined, no matter who you're disciplining. It's that which would trigger frustration and irritation. And so before you even get there, just know that 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 putt butt green is, is really bumpy. If you're gonna do this, you're gonna need some help. Daddy, could you help me get this in a in one hit? Could could you help me? Let him overshadow you. Let him enable you. So now a word to sheep. Live in an understanding way with those learning to walk in the strength and authority of heaven. It's hard to become strong as a leader. And when you become strong, you oftentimes accidentally clobber a few sheep. I don't know of anyone who has ever learned the dexterity, anyone who has ever just gotten on a bike and just be like, oh, this is easy. There usually is a tip one way or the other. However, if you are patient with them, just like every father needs to be when he's learning to teach a child to ride a bike. It's not instant. But as they continue to acclimate in that seat, they learn how to balance. And the same is true with every father with every husband, with every father, with every church leader. There is a balance that the Holy Spirit will help them towards if they are humble and submitted. Please be quick to forgive shepherding mistakes, for there are often many. It doesn't mean that I'm going to tell the shepherds to take advantage of that and say, yeah, I can have a lot of mistakes. However, I want the rest of you that maybe aren't in a shepherd position to be very forgiving towards shepherds, to be very gracious towards them. And please choose to champion the shepherd's cause and support them in their difficult work. When I talk to women, one of the things I've oftentimes said for years is, you need to become a champion of manhood. It's that simple. You need to become a champion of manhood. Most women today are like, manhood, you know, patooey. They're like, it's disgusting. It's horrible. Look what's happened to men. That's not going to help any man. You see, when you catch a vision, because a lot of people have a tough time with leadership and authority. They don't like it, so it's just patooey. And yet, once you catch the vision to recognize, but this is how God builds his kingdom. Start becoming a champion for it, praying for it, encouraging it, write little notes of encouragement. Say, I just want you to know, I see what you're doing. I see how you're investing. Just give to leadership instead of finding the flaw in it. Because I guarantee you, you study any leader and you're gonna find flaw except for Jesus Christ. The secret to leadership is to submit to that leader and say, God, this imperfect vessel needs your help. And it's called sanctification. The more he reaches over and grabs our hands on the putt-putter, the more we become like him.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.